You know, one of the uh, things that I said, I think I actually first said it at the on a Tuesday night Bible study. And uh, I also said it in terms of, I think, at the, the prayer meeting that we had a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I believe that it is a, a word for now. And in, in Philippians, Paul talks about how he's absolutely, definitely uh, convinced uh, without any doubt that he's going to be released from prison. And he's writing to the, the Philippians who've been supporting him. And he says, the reason I'm convinced of that, the reason that this prison sentence is coming to an end and I'm breaking free, I'm getting out of here. And the reason I know that is twofold. I know it because of the prayers that you guys have been saying. And, you know, through this time, we, we've been uh, praying for various things, haven't we? We've had our prayer points that have been coming up every week. And we've all been praying for that. And we've been praying for the, the outcome of this, to, to come out of this stronger, more fruitful, uh, financially sound, and all the rest of it. And, and so prayer is so important. And, and at this time, we really need to press in on prayer. But the second thing he says is this, and he, and he, and he uses a, a really amazing word when he talks about this. He said, the second reason I am convinced of this is because I've got a flesh supply of the Holy Spirit from Jesus Christ. And that's, and, and the words he uses there, he uses the, the, the supply, the, the word there is a lavish, abundant, overflowing, huge supply. And the, 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 the wording that he uses, is it's a particular thing. So if you uh, have ever been to see how shows work, you know, London theatre shows that they put on the stage and things like that, they're funded generally by a whole load of uh, benefactors. And that's what Paul's talking about here. What he's saying is this benefactor, this, this Jesus has come along and this benefactor has given me such an overwhelming new supply of the Holy Spirit that I'm going out of here. And, and the word is, it's, that he's using, because it's linked to this thing, is it's time to get the show back on the road. It's time to get the show back on the road. And this Holy Spirit that we are, that, that has been poured out, is get it's time for us to get out of this prison that we've been in for 14 months and get the show back on the road. Amen. Amen. And you know, right, right, we, we need to start believing God for some major things. And I just I just want to speak to somebody, and, and I think they're at home, but you might it might be people here as well. But you know, over this time, these 14 months, it's been really easy just to kind of like go into it thinking, yeah, I'm going to get through this. But the longer it's gone on, the longer it's gone on, the more dull down you've got, the more dull down. And it's kind of hard now to raise yourself out of it. There's a kind of lethargy that's come on. And I break that spirit of lethargy right now. I tell you, you have no place in our lives. Schemes of the enemy that you want to dull us down, you want to hold us back. You just want to press us down and get us to do nothing. Well, right now we're coming for you. We're coming for you with this fresh supply of the Holy Spirit that we are asking our Savior to give us. Also, I just just a, a word that there's some, and this person is at home, that you're feeling fluey. You're feeling fluey and your body's achy. And right now, I'm just, I, I take authority against that illness. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Be made whole. Flu symptoms go. 
achiness go. Be healed. Be alive in Jesus' name. And somebody, um, I don't know if this person is here, but somebody's got to have a problem with feeling in the fingers. I don't know whether here or online. You don't know now, do you? You don't know where they are. But anyway, somebody with a problem with feeling in the fingers. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we proclaim healing. Uh, sensitivity come back. Feeling come back. Every nerve that is trapped, be freed in the name of Jesus. Amen. So last week I was talking about... Um, Start this series called Soul Life, and I explained why I was calling it Soul Life. I, I, this is amazing. You know, I'm going like this, but for 14 months now, I've just stared at this camera, and it's it's just wonderful. So if, if you're at home and you're like wondering what he's looking at, it's people. <laughs> I'm looking at people, um, and I, I just, you know, one of the things that I, I talked about last week when I was setting up this this kind of little series is that many of us in the church, many people are right across the body of Christ have said, well, we don't want to go back to the way things were. We want to do something different. And, and then, then we get into, oh, well, what does that different look like? And so one of the things we did, guys, is we surveyed you and said, what do you want to do different? And you said, we want to turn up at 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning and get together and do what we were doing. And there's that sense, isn't there, that we want something different, but we actually don't know what it is. And you can play around and you can change your model of church and you can do all sorts of things. But without um, something else, it's just playing around with structures. It's just playing around with what an organization looks like. And there's this word, isn't there, the great reset. And I shared last week that I believe that what God was saying to us wasn't so much about a reset of a church structure. It was a reset of people's hearts where, where we move away from a system where we have revered size, where we have revered uh, organizational ability, where we've made pop idols out of uh, certain ministers or worship leaders or whatever, and we move away from that and we re-empower and re-believe that as individuals, we can make a difference as individuals. And I, I believe that the big reset God wants us to do, and I, I'll, I'll try and put this as gently as possible, he wants us to move away from a system that has been about us and our pride and our standing to a system that is about him, his glory and our humility. And, and I believe that's the big reset. I believe we've had 14 months when everybody has been on the same level. And it's really important we don't put people back up above us and shrink into our, our cupboards again. We need to come out and believe that we can make a difference as individuals. And so, you know, that's what I was saying. And to do that, you know, one of the, the, the things that I believe God's been talking to us about is being healthy in here so that we can be whole out there. That you can be healthy inside when the world around you is patently unhealthy outside. And from that, 
I, I made a leap last week and I said, I believe that what God is after is not us to build bigger and better church. God is after us building bigger and better people. And that's you guys. Bigger and better people. He's after our hearts. The same thing as he's always been after since the beginning of time. He's after our hearts. Not our structure, not our organization, not how much money we've got. He's after our hearts. And, and, it, and it's so important. that So the reason that I wanted to talk about this, this soul life, is I think we need to understand how we get our hearts in that right place. Is that, is that okay? You, are you still with me? So I'm going to talk about that and ex, you know, expand on that a little bit this morning. Um, I've been reading, I've been reading a lot during lockdown, but one of the things, primarily the Bible, by the way, which is a good thing for a pastor, isn't it, to read the Bible. So I've been primarily reading the Bible, but I've been reading other stuff. And uh, actually, one of the things that really struck me, this was actually an introduction to a book I was reading, not, um, not actually the person writing the book. You know, it's like some people write an introduction to the book. And it's written by a lady called Anne Voskamp, who, who I'd heard of and did, but didn't really know a lot about. And uh, in this book, she, she makes some really powerful statements in this introduction. And here's, here's one that I think really kind of sets us up for this morning. The drowning keep to-do lists. The soul survivors keep rhythms. Those who are drowning in life keep to-do lists. Our kitchen's covered with them, by the way. Those who are soul survivors keep rhythms. What do I mean that? What I mean by that is that we need to live life in a balance that we are intended to live it in. That's the healthy place that I'm talking about. Living life in a balance um, that we, we were intended to live it in. And it's the rhythm of grace that keeps our life in balance. Now, just go with me on this because I'm actually going to explain it. But just, I'm kind of opening up at the moment. And it's the pressure and haphazard left field curveball way that life evolves that keeps us out of balance so there's a rhythm of grace that keeps us in balance and it's all these haphazard things that go on in the world around us that keep us out of balance but if we're going to be healthy in that out of balance world we need to be in balance in here and uh, as I was doing this, this, this lady, Anne Voskamp, she, she mentioned this, and it, it took me back to my kind of uh, childhood. It probably takes Cheryl back more to her childhood, because around the, the town we grew up in, Kendall, there was uh, a, a lot of nuns. They, they had this uh, convent thing called Bretta Holt, and they used to wander around our little town, and they used to wear all their, their grey things and their white thing, and and, and they called them habits. Yeah, have you heard nuns' habits and monks' habits? So they called them habits. And and they used to have routines to their day that they, they used to do. They used to pray at certain times, uh, worship at certain times, do things at certain times. And they used to have a rhythm to their day. And, and it struck me that habits are what you wear. 
Habits are what you wear. And, and the habits that you have in your life are the way you wear your days. Just like nuns have a rhythm of, 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 of the, the, the way they do things. The habits that we have in our life are the way we wear our days. And so if you've got rhythms and, and habits that you wear each day, and they're healthy rhythms and habits. You keep your soul in balance. You keep it from becoming threadbare and worn out. But life pushes us to this erratic, uh, responding, knee-jerk, uh, you know, I'm going to do one thing, but then I got a text and I ended up doing something else and I didn't achieve any. And, my li you know, life is just all over the place and it's quicker and quicker and more and more all over the place uh, the older we get As, and the more technology involves the more people involved everything now is immediate isn't it it used to be you communicated with people by sending letters now if somebody's not responded to a text within seconds you feel like you've been hurt like i sent them that three minutes ago and they've not responded well maybe they're in the loo i don't know but but we, we've got a different way of life now, and it's erratic, it's half hour and, and life pushes us around, but we need to put rhythms in that lead us to God. Here's kind of the, the point I'm making. You cannot rely on life for happiness because it's too erratic and too unpredictable. You cannot control your life. But what you can control is the way you approach that life. You know, part of the problem is life's got, and life's got a habit of not treating as well, hasn't it? You know, all, the, all those dreams you have as a kid, and, and the, the, the kind of most of them don't materialise because life happened. And it's a question of what we're looking for, what we're, we're at. When it's, here's, here's something that I've, I've felt God really saying to us about what we've held on to, perhaps, uh, within the body of Christ, that maybe we got a bit overboard on. You know, when, when life's erratic, when it's all over the place, it's really hard to hold on when what you're holding on to is the cool and the acceptable. We hold on to Christ. And last time I looked, he was the antithesis of cool and acceptable. You know, when it's hard to hold on, we don't hold on to the prevailing, the po prevailing, the popular, the peer pressure. We hold on to the true vine, the one who is the Prince of Peace. Because he's the one that gives us peace. So, if we're going to reset, we need to reorientate what we're holding on to. And otherwise, we find ourselves blown to and forward. And, and James has a lot to say about this. James in chapter 1, verse 5 to 8, says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. 
For let not that man suppose that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What's James talking about there? James, sorry, I'm wondering, aren't I? If, if I go off screen, I'm still here, all right. James is talking about, if you ask wisdom, which is a good thing to do, you want to, God's counsel on how to walk in your life, what to do, what decisions to make, how to deal with certain situations. You want God's counsel to do that. But if you mix God's counsel up with the world's counsel and the world's wisdom and the ways ways doing things, you will be tossed to and fro and you will be just subsumed with that erratic lifestyle because you cannot receive from God unless you are all out for God. That's really important. You cannot receive through faith whilst believing the world's ways of doing things are going to bail you out. It's one or the other. Don't go and ask God for wisdom and then do what Auntie Flory told you to do in the first place. Because Auntie Flory only got her wisdom from Auntie Nettie who died 400 years ago. You know, we need God's wisdom at this time. Um, this lady, Anne Voskow, and this is my final quote from her. She said, she said this, and, and I love this. The way to survive the waves is to keep your beat, the beat of your heart in rhythm with the one who walks on the water. And that is just so true, isn't it? The way to survive the words is to keep waves is to keep your heart in rhythm with the one who walks on the water. What's the heart of the problem? What, what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with the fact that ourselves, we're not whole. We are, we are divided people. I don't know if you've ever... How many of you have heard recently, or in the last six months or year or whatever, one of your friends has turned around to you and said, well, you've got to be true to yourself. How many of you have heard that? How many of you have been told that? Be true to yourself. Here's the problem. Which of yourselves are you going to be true to? Because we're not consistent enough. We're not in balance. And so when we say be true to ourselves, it raises the question, what they're really saying is be true to who I want you to be and who I think you should be. When being true to ourselves is being true to the Christ who is in us. You know, which self? We've got so many selves that even we ourselves don't understand. You know, that's why there's so many ministry techniques, because we can't even get a handle on who we are half the time. And even if we get a handle on who we are, we don't really know how to put it together again. And, and so we develop all these things that are trying to help. But ultimately, Christ is the one who helps. It's adhering to him, being in beat in rhythm with the beat of Christ's heart. And as we walk in rhythm with the one who walks on the water, we find ourselves walking on the water when previously we were drowning in the waves. You know, scripture talks about us as a kind of complex, multi-dimensional being. And, and I think, you know, most of us when we start and can't figure out what to do in life and, and what our life's coming to and all, all the sort of stuff and what's it all about, we realize that actually we're pretty complex. We're pretty complex people. And 
it's a bit of a fallacy, isn't it, to think that you can pick a book off a shelf in WH Smith and it's going to fix all that complexity. And yet that's that's what many people resort to and many people think about. So where's where's all this coming from? Where's where's these ourselves come from? There's a a well-known rabbi, he's written a, a lot of uh books and, and things he's called uh jo Rabbi Joseph I can't it's forgive me if I get this wrong. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik. You can see why I'm struggling, but let's let's assume that right. And what he talks about, and, and I've never seen this before, is that there are two aspects of Adam. There are two Adams. And let me let me explain that to you. There's, there's two Adams. We, we're used to, you know, the Bible talking about Adam, the first Adam and the second Adam in Jesus. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about before mankind fell, there were two aspects to the way Adam lived. In, in Genesis chapter 1, we find in verse 26 and onwards, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, cattle, the earth, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man. Let's listen to this. This is the second time he says, first time he says, in our image and in our likeness. And then he says, I'm creating them. Uh, God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Have we got that, that in God's image, God created Adam, he created mankind? In his likeness. And what does he tell him to do? He says, have dominion. Uh, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the seas, the birds of the air, living thing that moves on the earth. Now, so much you can say about that passage. And, and I could preach on that passage for weeks. But the point I want you to see here is God is saying it's in his image and in his likeness for us to do things. It's in his image and in his likeness for us to want to achieve things. It's in his image and in his likeness for us to want to succeed and be fruitful and multiply and have dominion and be creative and change the world around us. There's a drive in mankind that is in the image of God. Why is that important? It's important from this perspective. God has blessed you to do things. And there has been a mentality amongst Christians that we don't need to do anything. We need to just opt out. And it's not godly to strive and to work hard and to succeed and to be fruitful and multiply. And yet God says, that's in my image. So there's a self in us, which for these purposes, I'll call driven, the driver. The driver for us to do things. And I want to tell you this morning that is godly. You know, I, years ago, we, we, we've had several occasions of this where, where people have kind of stood up at the front of faith life, you know, the... And, and I've been to conferences and things like that, and, and people go, all we need to do is rest. 
you know, don't bother me with anything like that. I don't want to come to church to actually have to do anything. I don't want to be a Christian to actually have to do anything. I just need to rest and God will do it all. No, God has put a drive that is a healthy drive in mankind. And, and it's important that we acknowledge that because if we don't acknowledge that, we will overreact to the problem and make it worse. We'll still be multiple selves, tossed to and fro, but now we'll just be lying there and getting subsumed by the waves and achieving nothing for the kingdom. It's so important that we understand that we're supposed to do something. And there's actually an innate drive in mankind that was put there by God for us to do something. And when, when, we, when we don't do something, when we just sit around and don't actually uh, live our life and create and, and fully express ourselves, we get problems. Because we're going against our nature. So we try and fix ourselves by not doing a lot and it doesn't help, it makes it worse. So, here we go. When, when we get to verse 31, then when God's told them all that, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So it's very good that he's put that in you. Are you getting this? Because I've heard so much where people have said the exact opposite to what I've just said. So if you're kind of upset or offended or need to think about it, that's okay. But think about it quick, because we need to get on with this fresh supply of the Holy Spirit and get this show back on the road and take some ground for the kingdom. We need to see bodies healed, lives set free, people delivered, lives changed, people coming into the kingdom. We can't afford to sit around. That's not what rest means. Rest means trusting God to do through you what you can't do yourself. So then there's Adam 2. Adam 2. The other Adam that this rabbi talks about. Adam 2 longs to connect. He longs to connect with people and he longs to connect with God. So God, right at the beginning, put in Adam this, again in his likeness, a desire to connect in relationship with others and a desire to connect with him as God. Where did I get that from? Well, let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord said, it is not good. Say it's not good. Oh, no. you. Sorry, mumble very quietly behind your face mask. It's not good. I need to readjust that, don't I? It is not good that man is alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Okay, and then we go on to uh, chapter 3, verse 8. And it says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What does that tell us about us? The way we're wired, if we are not connecting in relationship with people and we are not connecting with God, we will feel loneliness. We will feel empty and it's not good. We are designed to connect together as a church family, because it's good for us. We are designed to be here this morning in this building together because it's good for us. 
It's bad for us not to be together. It's bad to us to live fragmented lives, doing things all also and kind of only getting together once a month because it doesn't fit your schedule the other three weeks that's bad for you it's good for us to be together to relate together to walk this out together but it's equally and just as important that we are connected to god and what i'm saying here is god has put something in us that needs to find a meaning and a purpose in our life in conjunction with him and other people so he's put this driver in us but he's also put this soulful connect desire to connect and find meaning and they're both in god's image are you still with me because this is really important because if you don't get this you won't understand the rest of this series because that's this is what this series is about We often live in Christian circles as if those two aspects of our nature were opposed. But Jesus came to restore that which the enemy had stolen. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, Jesus, a redemptive sacrifice on the cross, came to put us in, back in a place where we were both... Uh, had that driver to do things and see success and create and live our lives and that soulful side where we connect with God. And here's the point. Health is balance of the two. Unhealth is out of balance one way or the other. Not just not doing too much, but one way or the other, out of balance is unhealthy. So if we're going to be healthy in an unhealthy world, we need to be in balance. Are you, are you still are you getting this? Okay, so let me let me just show you this visually, just to make sure you've got it. This this first slide shows you what health is in balance. You've got your soul drivers and your soul givers, that's, that's a soulful person, where you receive and where you interact with others and you interact with God. And when the two imbalance, you're healthy. When they're, and, and so what would, what would be soul drivers? Well, other things I've, I've already mentioned, second slide, um, like creativity, uh, doing things, overcoming the situations that you're in, being fruitful, doing things, and so on. Okay, they're, they're the drivers. That's driven Adam. And it's almost like we can't say driven Adam because driven is a bad thing. Well, no, actually, it's a God thing. He told us to go and have dominion, didn't he? And multiply and be fruitful. There's something in us that wants to do that. And that's okay. The problem is when it's out of balance. And so when you look at what what gives you life, what, what restores and builds up your soul, what's that? It's a... Connecting with God, connecting with other people, uh, ascribing meaning to things, uh, relating to people, building relationship with people, building relationship with God, having that life flow from God to your soul. The only way we can stay healthy and in balance is if we have an appropriate amount of the life flow of God to our soul. That means some of our priorities have to change. 
why do they have to change? Well, let's see what happened again. Genesis chapter 3 now. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall not you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. What happened? Man fell and the driven part took over because that driver was the thing that enabled us to survive in that fallen world. And everything got out of balance. We became fallen people with that, that just out completely out of balance. Does that ring any bells about how we live our lives? This side, this driver side dominates. And that's why we're unhealthy. That's why we're unhealthy physically, spiritually, financially, relationship-wise, and in our relationship with God-wise. Because we're out of balance. Now, as I've said, the answer to this is not do nothing to try and get it back in balance. You've got to put something on the other side to get it back in balance, not nothing on the do side. You've got to put that connection with God to get it back in balance. So God can restore our souls. We have put so much pressure onto this little thing called our soul that he's not able to carry. See, when we, when we live as that driven person, it has one word connected with it, pressure. And it's the pressure that produces the anxiety. It's the pressure that produces the worry. It's the pressure that produces the pain. It's the pressure that produces the concern. It's the pressure that produces sickness. It's the pressure that robs our relationships. It's the pressure. And we live in a world that lives according to that pressure. And the only way we can fix that is to live differently. To be healthy is to be in balance. You know, one of the things that... Uh, Little story. I don't know how many of you have seen the film of Steve Jobs' life. Steve Jobs, the guy that was the head of Apple. And in that, that film, some of the things that, you know, we, we all think amazing products, Apple, except if you're a PC person, which I'm not. So Apple are amazing products. But we, we all, all think, like, all these amazing things, iPhones and all the rest of it come out and come in. And uh, there's, there's a scene in that, that where it becomes apparent that Steve Jobs was so driven, put so much pressure on himself that he, he, he always forgot his wife's his wedding anniversary. He always forgot his wife's birthday. He was never there for his family. He forgot all his kids' birthdays. And the other guy that was involved with Apple, I call, uh, I think it's Steve Wozniak, in this, in this film, what happens is he comes up and they're having this, this conversation and Steve Wozniak turns to Steve Jobs and he says, 
Here's the problem. Your products are better than you are. And Steve Jobs says, yeah, well, that's the idea. And Wozniak replies to him, it's not binary, you know. You can be a decent person and gifted at the same time. And it's so true, isn't it? We live like it's one or the other. And it's both. Why is that? It's because society, this pressure pushes us to prioritise driven Adam over soulful Adam. Because we firmly believe that our achievements are what gives our life value. And we value ourselves according to our achievements. It's not wrong, I'll just remind you, to achieve. We get problems when that's the sole measure of our value. Because we're only measuring one side of the balance. That's why we get in problems. We look at stuff and say, what have I done with my life? Well, I haven't done as much as that person. Therefore, they've got more value than me. Every single person in this room has the same value. Every person on the stairs, every person in the chairs, every person on the table has the same value. Value is what somebody will pay for something. Your value is the life of Christ. That's what was paid for you. Every single person in this room is on exactly the same level with exactly the same value and it's the life of Christ because that's what was paid for, for you. You know, we think that we'll be happy if we've got the right spouse or we get promoted or we're successful in our career or we do this or we achieve that. And the problem is that it's like a dopamine shot. You get high for a while and then it, it fades away again. So you need a stronger one to get you the same high. And, and life's like kind of that problem. And, and we get certain things that epitomize the way we live. In that driven state that the world lives in, where value is ascribed only to what you do and what you look like and what, what you've achieved, then we get pulled into that. And what does it produce? It produces this idea, this competition. And, and you know, our identity becomes dependent on winning the game, the game that we're playing. Yet Jesus said... Prefer one another. Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who's the servant of all. Something's gone wrong with our souls. Something's gone wrong with the message. I think it is absolutely appalling that the body of Christ competes for existing believers to move churches to their church. And then we say we're growing. I think it's just, it does nothing for the kingdom, but it, it, it's more the wrong attitude. Jesus calls us to humility and servanthood. And I believe that's why he wants to reset his heart. He wants us to have a look at our hearts and get this competitive stuff out of it. What else does it produce? It produces pride. When it's all down to me and I do something that, people say was a success then 
it produces pride. The world runs on pride because if it's not Jesus, it's us, isn't it? And, and if we've achieved it, then we can boast and then we can be proud. Here's the problem. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And yet, we, we seem to have made an occupation about making people superstars in the body of Christ. And disenfranchising everybody else. I believe God's calling us to, I don't know how we get there, but he's calling us to a simpler, more authentic, more powerful form of spirituality. And to do that, we have to get back in balance. You know, in Cambridge, we, we see all this, don't we? You know, like, um, driven Adam, what does he do? He's got to get his kids in the right school and people will move houses to be in the right catchment areas to get the kids into the right school. And if they can't do that, they'll scrimp and save and get second jobs and third jobs so they can put the kids into private school so they can get the right blazer, the right cap to get into the right university, to get into the right job and make the right sort of money so they can retire at 60 and sail around the world in a tiny little yacht. And we think about this, it was crazy, you know, we, when we moved down, we, we, went to, to try, we, we went to try and get to Matthew into a school, and we thought we were just going to look at the school. And we came out sort of two hours later thinking, this is a great school. But then we realised we weren't actually looking at the school, we were being interviewed to see if we were the right sort of parents for our kid to go to that school. And, and that's the world we've created in. And if that's the world we want to live in, we will be unhealthy and out of balance. I'm not saying pro or con any school or whatever, but what I'm saying is we put our value system all on the driver's side. And whilst it's not, the driver's side is not wrong, out of balance, it's unhealthy. What we need is a rebalancing, a resetting a rebalancing into the rhythm of grace. I said at the start, and I'll finish with this, that habits are what we wear. The habits and the rhythms of our life is what we wear in that unhealthy world around us. And so we have to put the right rhythms in. And I'm going to talk about that next week. But right now, I just want you to stand. I'm just going to pray for us, and I'm going to pray for everybody who's watching this, either live or during the week. Um, I think, you know, what, what we've seen during uh, this period is that about a third of the people who are going to watch Sunday morning watch it live, and about two-thirds from all over the country and other countries as well, including what country was it, Bob? That, yeah, including Bolivia. So welcome, Bolivia. So including Bolivia, where one of Bob's friends lives. Um, watch it during the week. He has a friend. Bob's got one friend. Oh, two. Eileen. She can't get away from him. She's married to him. <laughs> but I'm just going to pray for us all whenever you're watching this. Holy Spirit, whilst we might not like this because our lives are out of balance, Your spirit is calling us to balance. 
Father, I want to get both aspects in the right proportion. Not one or the other, but both together. And Holy Spirit, I ask for a fresh supply of your spirit. I ask for a generous, over-the-top outpouring of your spirit in every one of our lives. That we might know your presence, that we might know the arms of a loving father. That we might find the way to come back into balance, to see the fruitfulness and the multiplication and the connection and the healthy relationships with others and with you, our saviour. So Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. I ask you to touch each one of our hearts with that cry to live healthy, not tossed to and fro, but to live healthy in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you responded to that, if you responded to that at home, um, if uh, you want to let us know about those words of knowledge, then what we'd like you to do is just email the office, office at faithlifechurch.org.uk, or you can comment on the Facebook page, or you can tell me from behind your mask after the service, if you want to, and uh, because it's really helpful to encourage each other and to know what God is doing in lives, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Well, we love everybody here. Shell, come here. Shell does say we love you much more smiley and beautifully than I do. Yeah, we love everybody. We love you all. Uh, we do. But we especially love everybody here this morning because we can see you. Yay! <laughs> and that's amazing. So thanks, guys. Thank yeah. you for coming. Thank you for coming out. And uh, thank you for being there online. Yeah. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. Amen. 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 Amen.